Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story, you know. Have you a real love of books and learning? Welcome to episode 24 of Adventures in Library Instruction. It is still technically March 2011 as we're recording this, so we're counting this as the March episode based on the rules that we have laid down in previous end-of-month podcasts. Um, Welcome to the show. I'm Jason Puckett. I'm communication librarian at Georgia State in Atlanta. I'm Anna Vanskoik. I am a part-time reference librarian in New Jersey for a county library system, public library system. And I'm Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian at American University in Washington, D.C. And you're presently in warm, sunny uh, March Philadelphia for ACRL. How's it going? I am. I haven't gotten to see all that much, which is really frustrating me. I kind of planned my social agenda first, which I'm no. <laughs> like I'm going to the Mutter Museum with a bunch of science librarians. Love, awesome. love the Mutter Museum. I'm so excited. <laughs> but it means that I'm missing some great um, presentations. So I, I went to one this morning on e-science and I'm hoping to go back this afternoon before the drinking starts tonight. <laughs> okay. Well, um, speaking of conferences, uh, Rachel and I have been to a couple recently, and we thought we would start with just a couple of short um, debriefs about um, conferences we've done. Um, I went to that camp southeast. Uh, I, I forget the date. I think it might have been. It was the first of first week of March, I think. And uh, Rachel and I were just at Computers and Libraries up in D.C. last week, and we did a presentation about this very podcast. So I thought we'd uh, we'd start talking about that and then um, Anna's actually doing some teaching which Rachel and I are not doing much of at this point in the semester well someone's got to be doing it yeah yeah it's not us we're, we're too busy traveling and <laughs> jet setting around at these glamorous <laughs> library conferences so, I do want to uh, hear about that camp because I don't know what that camp is well, let me tell you all about that camp, Anna. Um, that camp, if you're not familiar with it, stands for the Humanities and Technology Camp. And I did not know that. It's it's an unconference. Um, I think that the the home base for these things, as I understand it, is at uh, Center for History and New Media um, in Virginia, which, of course, is the um, fine institute that makes Zotero, of which I'm a big fan. Um, but they've started having these, um, these satellite... Uh, Unconferences that camps around the U.S. and the one that I went to was organized by some folks at Emory University here in Atlanta. And um, if you're not familiar with an unconference, it means that people show up. There's no predetermined schedule, and when you get there, um, everybody decides as a group what 
what sessions you want to have and what you want to talk about and uh, votes on what sessions are going to happen and um, you just sort of go off and do your own thing and um, people have conversations and sort of impromptu presentations and and whatever happens, happens. And it was really cool. Um, there were a lot of librarians and archivists at this one, which I was very pleased by. Um, we heard at the end that we, I think we had the highest percentage of librarians and archivists at this that camp than any other that camp this that camp than any other that camp that they've put on so far so there were a lot of teaching faculty um there were some techies there were some complete non-techies there were some um webmasters and some um uh, I know th- I, th- I was going to say everybody there was academic, but I actually met a CNN producer while I was there, which was very cool. Um, and she and I ended up talking because I'm the journalism librarian, among other things. And um, so it was really great. And you just sort of show up and had some really interesting conversations. Um, some of the sessions I did, of course, I did a Zotero talk, um, which had a pretty good turnout. That ended up being more of me giving a presentation. I just kind of fell into presentation mode. A lot of the other stuff was much more conversational, but they just sort of found their own balance. Some of them were like one person doing most of the talking and presenting, and some of them were just much more conversational and information sharing. So um, I went to a session about gaming, teaching and gaming. I went to a session about um, open access publishing. That's something I'm trying to learn more about. Um... There's one about cool tools for researchers. Um, Oh, geez, I'm trying to remember. There were so many good things. Oh, the last one that I went to was about librarian faculty collaborations, and that was, I think, the best one to end the day on or to end the weekend on. It went on for a day and a half, and um, one of my faculty members from the communication department came, um, and it was, I think it was about half and half faculty and um, teaching faculty and um, librarians. And uh, that was really cool because um, uh, the professors who were there kept saying that they were learning new stuff about what librarians did. So that made me very happy. So Those are some of my, and it's so hard. Well, especially, I mean, I don't go to conferences, as we all know. And it's, even when I did have a professional development budget, picking conferences is so hard. And mm-hmm. I don't know if this I, it, this was an unconference, is that right? Right. And right. you're starting to see more of this. And one of the things I like about them is that you have it's not you have the hybrid, you have the faculty and the librarians there. I went to one um, for scholarship of teaching and learning. This is back in the day, and I I loved it because it was both librarians and faculty, and in this natural environment where we are teaching together. And we're, stu- we're studying how we're teaching and how students are learning. And we just, I remember learning so much from them and them saying how much they were learning from the librarian's perspective as well. And there's only been a handful. I mean, I, can, I can't mm-hmm. even count on one hand how many conferences like that I've been to. And it's hard because, we, you know, you, you're required to do ALA or ACRL or, or the, the librarian-centric ones. And um, I think that these are popping up more and more where you're getting the diverse um, academic community involved. And I really loved that about it. Um, I've heard um, from some of my colleagues about uh, more and more about librarians going to the subject conferences, like they'll go to the MLA conference for, mm-hmm. for English or the science mm-hmm. conferences and um, things like that. But I think you'd probably get very few librarians at that. So I really liked this because it was a, a mix. Um, 
we went to uh, we we did a session about libguides and uh, or subject guides in general. I guess we were talking about libguides uh, mostly. And uh, the CNN person, that's where I met her at the the libguides thing. I was like, "What are you doing at this thing?" <laughs> so she was just interested. So it really is that kind of environment where you just show up and whatever you're interested in is is what you end up talking about. And and I loved that mix. That was really cool. So and there were T-shirts. And it was it was, <laughs> it was really cheap. They had a suggested donation of you know twenty five or thirty dollars, I forget, and everybody got a t shirt. So all right, so I'm going to ask a really ignorant question. Yeah, because that's my role on the podcast. When um when you say when, when we talk about an unconference, were there people who were scheduled to speak? Nope. Nope. So no schedule. There were blocks and rooms just because you know there was like okay from this hour. It just just so there were blocks for people to fill in. There were no scheduled speakers. Um, the organizers did a little address at the beginning and said, welcome, and here's how this is going to work. And there was a whiteboard with a grid on it with times and spaces, and you just wrote down what you wanted to talk about in any given space at any given time, and people could vote on it and uh, see how many people would show up, and they did the schedule based on that. Oh my god, that's awesome. It was great. Yeah, it was terrific. And so there were there were no boring sessions and if you ended up in a session that was boring, you were encouraged to get up and go to another session and if you uh if you didn't have a room, they were like, you know, there there are other rooms that you can go and use if you want to do something else for an hour, if you want to have, you know, I I don't know if anybody actually did that, but there were other a few other spaces if people wanted to just go and do their own thing um, you know, elsewhere. And uh, there was also pizza. Rachel, have you been to an unconference? I haven't, but um, I know it's supposed to be kind of that same, you know, the conversation that happens between um, presentations at a conference, mm-hmm. which for me has always been the most valuable part. Right, 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 right. And, um, I, I guess to me, I'm, I'm surprised that it's not more official in library land, you know, that like you hear about what's happening, but um, one, they're very small. And kind of, they're not put together by any kind of organized, you know, like... Um, it's usually a regional thing, right? right. Yeah. 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 These are all actually, they're having an unconference during all the presentations. Um, it seems to be just an hour-by-hour hour kind of thing, and I haven't gone in and checked it out because I know what the big thing that makes unconferences successful are the people that attend it, you know? And, like, if there's only 10 people going to an unconference at ACRL... I can't imagine, you know, that yeah. there's going to be enough to find those common bonds of interest. Um, so I didn't think it was worth it. But I think it would be really wonderful if someone like HRL or ALA just did an unconference because one of my growing frustrations, and I guess I'll probably talk about this with computers and libraries, is that um, the presentations, by the time they're submitted and approved, they, they're a little out of date already, you know? Isn't that funny? It's, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, for our field and probably for communications as well, um, it just it moves way too fast for us to, to even – even conferences are becoming too old. And I think conferences should be, you know, the way that we move forward. But that probably won't happen because it's – you know, you can't really say – like, I ended up giving a talk. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really fit well on a, a, on a CV – <laughs> no, I think I think that would be I think that would be cool here anyway. I think I, I certainly plan to list it on my C V that, that I went to this thing and that I, I spoke. So Did they um, video it or anything or No, no, uh uh-uh, uh not that I know of anyway. I know when uh 
what is it, Princeton Public Library, they had a an unconference. This is probably about a year ago now. And they streamed it live. You could go in whatever one of those streaming sites is. Give me a mm-hmm. give me a title. Somebody. Anything. One of them. Like, like um uh you I wanna say YouTube, that's not it. You you something. Yeah. You stream. You stream, thank you. <laughs> I knew YouTube was wrong, but I couldn't come up with the right one. But you could go in and so here I am at home with my two kids and I'm going in and I'm hearing Janie Herman speak mm-hmm. or Peter uh, Bromberg speak. I mean, it was it was neat. It was this very informal professional development opportunity. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about computers and libraries as well, but let me just say a couple more quick things. For, um, first of all, I want to mention that, um, Rachel, I've heard a lot of other conferences doing unconferences either right before or right after. Like, um, I think computers and libraries and or internet librarian does that on a, a semi-regular basis, but not not during. I'm not sure how that would work during. Um, and the other thing was uh, a friend of the show, um, Steve Lawson, has written a book for the tech set called um, Library Camps and Unconferences. So if you're interested in more about unconferences, um, take a look at Steve's book. Nice. So you two presented at Computers and Libraries. We did. Right. Just just a week ago, we co-presented with other friend of the show, the fabulous Maurice Coleman. Yeah. And our, our session was called um, Podcasting for Professional Development. Um, so, Rachel, tell us about the presentation. Yeah. So, um, like Jason said, it was podcasting for professional development, but in the program, it was listed as, um, what was it, podcasting and tools. Yeah. So, it was a little vague. We were... Abilities or something. Yeah. So, we were splitting our time with someone else. So, we were trying to set out Twitter messages so that people knew that it was a focus on professional development. Um, but we took what we did last year and talking kind of about the basics of how to set up a podcast and took it a step further. Um, and so Maurice talked about how he does his podcast through TalkShoe, and we talked about how we do this podcast. Um, but then we talk- talked about how it kind of fits into the larger framework of today's professional development, which is kind of the tie into unconferences. Um, and so I'm just going to give my, my soapbox that I gave there in shortened form, which is that um, our profession really is moving much faster than our communication tools are at this point. And that journal articles and books really aren't the way to get the newest, best information out there to a group of people. And the main reason why we still have it is for tenure, it seems like, um, and that whole peer review process. And I think the more we as a profession can kind of embrace these new modes, um, like going to unconferences, like accepting podcasts as something that's on par with a journal article, as blogs, you know, instead of journal articles, um, the better off our profession is going to be and the more we can move forward and not have to worry about all this kind of the slow communication catching up with the more instant methods. Um, and Twitter is a, a huge part of it. Um, and I think the whole uh, Car- Collins Overdrive thing really illuminated um, how much we now rely on those instantaneous methods of communication uh, mainly Twitter and blogs, to get information disseminated in our profession. So, so what I see, I see podcasting a little bit differently. I don't see it ever at podcasting and all the other things that you're talking about. Um, and, and I agree with a lot of what you say. Um, I don't see it ever replacing traditional peer-reviewed communication like that. What I see it doing, for me anyway, its role for me has been to keep the the conference style conversations going. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see it and 
Anna maybe has a thought or two about this, perhaps, given her situation um, of not being able to go to conference as much, is I see it as really a supplement to the conference process or the, to the, the conference travel and so on. It, you know, it doesn't replace it, but it's a great way to keep the dialogue going. And I see it more on a par with conferencing and stuff like that as opposed to ever really being able to replace the, the peer-reviewed stuff. I don't. I don't think podcasts on their own are ever going to replace anything. Um, but when I think about like what I might write for a journal article, mm-hmm. I would much rather just put it up on a blog, yeah. and then have people's feedback to it count as the peer review. You know, if people are reading it, if people are using it to form their own opinions and write their own blog posts, that is peer review. I have a. I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um... I see what you're saying, Rachel, because it's a dialogue and it is peer review because someone can kind of challenge or um, ask for clarification, which is really mm-hmm. – when you do peer review, when I used to uh, peer review articles for CNRL when mm-hmm. I was at the University of Georgia. And that's kind of what you do. You read through it and you're looking at it and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Can you clarify this a little bit more? I, what I would like to know is the history of peer review because I know when I've submitted articles, it's never really been a think piece – um, it's always been an empirical study where I've gone through and I have a methodology and I have um, the statistics that I've run and I've um, outlined my outcomes and I've you know then done a discussion on what the statistics show and then I you know the, the, the limitations I mean you know your traditional article and when I think of that peer review process that's someone going through and checking my methodologies was this a sound study are there any limitations to the study that I didn't address Mm -hmm. Um, and that could be a blog post as well but I I really would like to know the the history of that peer review I mean it's a check to see is this a valid reliable pertinent um, piece of information right Um, and it really goes to it goes back to scientific method I mean how can I make sure that what you're telling me is actually true right. and it's on the best evidence possible. And I guess what I would say is open access journals are getting there. Um, but it, I just don't see a need why we have to go through publishers and why we have to go through this months long peer review process. You know, like I think peer review is definitely worth it. I mean, that's what we tell our students all the time, right? Look for the peer review journal articles or else you don't know. It's just some person spouting their opinion which also has a place, but it's not as credible, right? Um, but why can't we just do that for each other? And I have my thoughts on why why it's still around and why open source isn't. Well, part of it is it's a, it's a cultural hegemony that we're trying to shift, and that is like moving icebergs. It, it takes time, and I do think it's starting to move. And, and kind of scary, and I'm going to totally put myself out on a limb here, is I think it's about money. <laughs> I think it's publishers money. I, I think there's a money aspect to it. And I'm not really able to articulate that right, kind of my thought process about it. But if you look at the HarperCollins thing, HarperCollins Overdrive thing, I think the basis of that is the money for the publishers. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, sure, of course. Yeah. And they're they're terrified by electronic publishing and, and self-publishing. And, you know, open access journals are sort of a, a, a facet of that that affects the, the academic world in the way that you know, I guess in the way that uh, the HarperCollins DRM situation is is affecting public libraries, because that's not really affecting academic libraries so much. Um, 
Right, Anna, that's it's, true. It's, it's your, I know we're getting kind of far afield from the um, podcasting presentation at Computers and Libraries, but Anna, <laughs> is your is your library responding to HarperCollins in any way? Are you boycotting or anything? Nope. Okay, just curious. <laughs> is, this, is this something that your colleagues are aware of? Do you know? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yep. Okay, we can leave it there. <laughs> but the other, the, not to, I'm going to kind of go back to, um, the, I had, I still had a couple other thoughts about the whole professional development aspect. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to crap all over peer review, because I do think that there is a, a sound um, base of knowledge and information that's there. But I think we, I'm with Rachel when we need to see that shift, um, especially with the timeliness of those documents coming out. The other aspect is, and I think this is what Jason was kind of um, hinting towards before, was um, for those of us who can't go to conferences or those of us who, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't even belong to ALA, you guys. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't get any journals. I don't, um, and this isn't a pity party. It's just, it's, it's made me rethink how am I, I love my job. I love being a librarian. And with that, and, and Rachel's touched on this, you have got to stay abreast of the new, every new issue that comes up, every new um, quote-unquote toy that comes up. I mean, it's, I just think you have to be almost ahead of the game sometimes. And some, sometimes I feel like I'm more on the dull edge than on the bleeding edge of anything at this point anymore. But it's, it's really made me rethink, how am I going to continue to educate myself in my field? Um, and that's where podcasting has come into play for me. And that's where Twitter has definitely come into play for me. And um, LSW, and, which is Library Society of the World, um, their friend feed, I think, is a great place to go to for information. Um, the unconferences I've not taken part of, but I've been to a tweet up, which was awesome because I got to meet librarians from just all kinds of different libraries. And I still am in contact with some of those people from that one little tweet up I went to. Uh it, and I, you know, I hear about I hear about people going to all these conferences, and I feel like I'm missing out sometimes. But then I take a step back, and I feel lucky enough to to at least have some resources now that I can go to, like blogs, where people will debrief on a session that they went mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. or um, and and so that aspect, kind of more the continuing education aspect of professional development, because uh, that's something that. Again, I just get nervous about the position I'm in right now and, um, you know, if I'm getting left behind kind of a thing, which I think can happen pretty quickly in our field right now. So, Anna, I have to say, like, I was watching all of the tweets from beginning to end at computers and libraries, and I think I, I, think I probably would have gotten at least 85% um, out of just reading the tweets as opposed to going to the sessions themselves. You know, I think that the only thing that's missing is the getting to talk to people before and afterwards. The hallway conversations. Yeah. But in terms of, like, actually learning things from the presentations, Twitter, I I applaud everyone who sends tweets out um, with hashtags because it's so helpful. Even, you know, as I'm sitting in one conference presentation to know what's going on in the other four, it's like being in five presentations at once. It's wonderful. Yeah. It, 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 no, I agree. I agree. It's um, and and on top of that, I I thank the people who then blog about it as well because yeah. then they will 
they point you to resources. You know, it's a nice little, it's almost like a nice little abstract of that presentation. Um, so I guess in some ways, you know, I feel, I feel like, I feel like I'm okay at this point. I mean, I definitely have those kind of somewhat panic attacks, like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> but, uh, you know, you take a step back and, and part of it is knowing the conferences that are going on. Um, I mean, there are people who haven't even heard of computers in libraries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of part of it as well. Well, I think to bring it back around that uh, you've hit on a couple of things that, that I was trying to get at with my part of the presentation anyway, uh, with my motivation behind the, the podcasting presentation. We're getting to the point where the presentation content, I mean, for, in general conference presentations, you can present that kind of stuff in a number of different ways, blogs. And people will blog presentations. People, you know, people do their their entire presentations by video. Sometimes at this point, I've been to conferences where the person couldn't attend in person, and they just put up a, a uStream up on the the big screen, and they said, "Well, here's my part of the presentation," and they did their thing. So the more formal part of the, the conferences can be done online. The content, and what I sort of feel like is that the you know arguably the more valuable part of the, the conferences, the hallway conversations, there are ways to do that too. And what I was trying to get at some in our podcasting presentation is that podcasting can be a good uh, and and somewhat effective way to do that. So, I mean, neither one can really replace the in-person experience, but there are ways to supplement it if you can't get to it in person or to see the stuff that you miss when you are there in person. Mm-hmm. So. So I think that's my last word on that. The other advantage to it, to be honest with you, um, that I have found is whenever, and I was I was heavily involved with um, ALA and ACRL, specifically the instruction section while I was mm-hmm. in academia. And I feel like it gets so siloed there that you, you see the same people and it's almost like the same presentations are kind of regurgitated year after yeah, year. Right, right. And one of the things that I've loved about the, the the internet aspect of it, kind of almost like this voyeuristic um, professional development uh, that I've been doing for the past, whatever, four years now, is I, I feel like I have a connection now with teacher librarians, and mm-hmm. I have a connection with people who are interested in e-learning, and I have a connection with academic librarians and public librarians. It, it just, it, I feel like I've broadened my, my perspective of mm-hmm. teaching in libraries. And that's, again, that was what I liked so much about that camp was, was the broader perspective because I get to have conversations with all those people that right. I, that I wouldn't have otherwise. So it was, that was great. Anna, what? tell us about your teaching. Oh, yeah. I'm the only one teaching. <laughs> Actually, not technically true. If we have time, I'll talk about my Simmons class. Oh, that's go right. Ahead. Um, go ahead. It's kind of the whole, for those of you who have listened before, I've kind of, I've been doing Facebook, a lot of Facebook presentations, and specifically for um, senior community centers. And I've done them for two now, and now another one has just contacted me, and I guess the word is getting out on the street that I'm the person to bring in (laughs) to talk about Facebook. So I'm going to another community center um, over on the east side of the county um, in May to do a presentation over there. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny that I'm kind of getting to be known as the... Facebook, I don't even know, go-to person. Uh, it's funny because a lot of my consultations now at work tend to be more Facebook-oriented <laughs> than, um, than uh, 
more your typical traditional reference questions, which I'm not complaining because I feel that that's a a mechanism that people are using to communicate and they need to know how to use it effectively and efficiently as well as safely. So it's been a, it's been a neat experience. The other side of that, and this, um, I kind of had a flashback to my days of being, um, an instruction librarian in an academic library was I did a class on, um, EBSCOhost on finding articles And of course, as we all know, it always takes that one class to realize I put way too much information in here. I need, (laughs) I just, I totally overwhelmed my class, but I did, I tried, and and you know what's so funny, y'all, is it was, all I did was try to do two databases when Mm -hmm. I just needed to do one. I just, instead of, because I, for some reason I felt like I had to do master file premiere and academic search premiere. I don't know why that was in my head. (laughs) Which is, it's basically the same interface. So I'm like, oh, it'll be easy. You know, they'll transfer those skills over. No, I should have just stuck with one and just had them totally delve into it. Mm-hmm. But what was so funny about it was um, they were so into it. They, it's like everyone geeked out in this class. And <laughs> yes, I mean, I did. I would, And this is what I have found with adult learners. And please, anyone involved with adult learning out there, bl- comment on the blog post blog post, whatever, once we um, push this out to y'all, it's, uh, I think that they like a demonstration. They do, they want that demonstration first. They don't want you to give this obscure task to do and then kind of look at you like, what in the hell is she asking me to do? They want more of the step-by-step. So I did my cute little demonstration and then I did a quote-unquote pop quiz and they all went crazy and they were all trying to find the absolute best article on this pop quiz that I had given. Oh, that's awesome. And then they, um, I wanted them to know that they could email these things to themselves um, because so that in case they don't want to print it in the library where it costs 10 cents a page. So I had them all email me an article that they had found on the pop quiz topic or whatever. And I just, some of the feedback, I, I printed it out, so I'm just saving it for my little file in case anyone wants to know, you know, the value of any of the classes I've been doing. And, I mean, like, you can put a comment, you know, when you email an article to yourself. And they mm-hmm. all just, you would have thought I had given them the power of the world. With, <laughs> with this, which it was just so different than the classes I had taught before where you're, like, trying to be, like, you're doing a soft shoot, you know, trying to get the class excited yeah. about it and... They were, they were there. They were very appreciative. Um, and I think part of that was I was asking them, are there magazines that say they subscribe to? And I was, there was about 10 people in the class, and five of them had said that they had stopped subscribing to some of them because, mm-hmm. you know, they just, they're like, you know, it just sat there, and I never got to it, and it was a waste of money, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it was only one section that they were really interested in. So it was kind of, it was neat. It was a neat experience. I mean, that's, that's all I have to say about it. It was just um it was, Anna, how, did, how was it advertised? Like, how, how did this come about? Where did they come from? Where, <laughs> Who are these crazy they people? They just turned up and said, Anna, show us how to use a data. They, well, it's funny because it came, actually came from one man. He had been attending my classes. And he said, you know what? He's like, I want to know how to use EBSCOhost. He's like, I don't. And they always call it by the vendor's name. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I said, I'm more than happy to do that. And. Because he's like, I don't understand it. It's confusing. You know, because as we all know, everybody's Googleified. They want to get in there and have their one little box and whatever, type in their full sentence and get whatever back. 
So I advertised it as find, what did I, how did I advertise it? I didn't, it wasn't finding articles. It was magazines online for free or something like that. Mm-hmm. What are you like? Well, that's what it is. What are you laughing at? Or the magazine. The word magazine? Sorry. I'm a public librarian, yeah. Rachel. And that's the hook. That's awesome. I love it. It was funny because when going into academic search, <laughs> this is when I knew I made a mistake. When I went into academic search premiere and peer review is there and I'm like, oh God, I'm like, do these people really care about peer reviewed articles? And so yeah, magazines, Rachel, that That's manga. Awesome. <laughs> so who were, who were your audience? You said they were adult learners. So they were, they were out of college, right? Out of college. Um, some were about two or three were retired. Two or three more were, I'd say, 40s, 50s. Okay. And I had um, one or two that were in their 30s. Hmm. All them, all, yes, all had complete, if they had gone to college, had completed college. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. That's it. Cool. That's that's awesome, though, that I, I don't know of a lot of, well, I don't know um, of a lot of public librarians who are, are offering that kind of stuff, but that may just be my ignorance, I was going to say. Um, so. It's not exciting, you know, when you think about it, like, I love doing the Skype class. I love doing the Facebook class. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's kind of new. It's, you know, finding articles. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> well, you don't have a captive audience kind of in the way that, that we have a semi-captive audience because students have to know how to find stuff here, you know, because they assigned it. Um, so you've got to make them, you know, fun and sexy sounding at least to get them in the front door, right? Yeah, I just had to use the word free, and they were there. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. I wanted to share my little geeky experience with them. Something that I thought was going to be kind of boring ended up being a lot of fun. That's excellent. That sounds really cool. Do you think you'll do it again? I've already had a request to do it again, yeah. Hey, cool. So we'll see. It's hard because I really only do about, I do two classes a month, really, and I try to rotate topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is just kind of how our setup is, you know, the workflow. Because it's a long story, but um, I can't really do an impromptu class per se. I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about doing like an ebooks at the library class? Like, I would love to. You download them. <laughs> this is how it doesn't work with Kindle. I, you know what? It's funny because someone has asked me to do that, and I said, um, "Talk to my husband, so he'll get me an e-reader, and I'm more than happy to do it for <laughs> you." <laughs> Because I do, I want to get an e-reader, and I because I do, I think people, and that's we get a lot of those tech calls. People are like, I can't, because there's with each um, tool, it works differently. Overdrive mm-hmm. works differently, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. um, so you kind of have to go through this whole diagnostic workflow flow chart well, kind of thing, like a workshop. You know, bring your ebook reader, and we'll fill that's, it up with ebook goodies. Exactly, and that's what I've done with um audiobooks. I've done it with audiobooks yeah. in the past, but I haven't done it with ebooks yet. Yeah. E-reader. Seems like, I think it's time. I'm I begging think e-book- for an iPad. Please. Oh, man. I keep seeing them at conferences. I'm so jealous. They're, they are, they're the perfect conference tool. They are. They're great. Um, they're great e-readers. You know, I take the train to work, and um, I read on the train all the time. And they're wonderful conference computers. I would not have taken a laptop to computers and libraries with me last week, except that I was writing, and it's a 
it would be terrible to writing to write on. That would have been hell. But uh, but they're they're great travel computers. If all you need to do is browse and email and read, it's it's terrific. Should I talk about my blog? Talk about your blog. Talk about talk about being in the know. Yeah. (laughs) I'm only about five years late. Jump on the bandwagon. Um, Yeah, I mean, after last last month, we were talking about you know I was giving you guys another update on um, my my quest for programmatic information literacy is what I'm calling it. Um, So I finally decided, you know, it's time. So I have a blog. It's um, ilquest, like information literacy quest. Dot dot com. Um, I haven't really decided the scope yet because I I'm, I want to talk about things that aren't necessarily pro- pro- programmatic information literacy, um, but that's what I said I was going to write about. So we'll see. But for right now, I'm just kind of documenting the different steps. So I met with physics faculty a couple weeks ago, and I talked about that and. Um, I think I'm going to try and meet with math coming up and doing a weeding project for the computer science librarians. And that kind of came out of the the physics meeting and that kind of stuff. So if you're a science person, (laughs) um, please read it. And I would really love to get feedback because I I feel really sheepish saying this, but I'm new to blogging. So I've always been one of those, oh, I don't have anything to talk about kind of people. Um, so. You know, you'll get you'll get a lot of readers if you uh, tweet it. You'll get a lot of subscribers that way. I did. Um, I oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm I tweeting it too. I'm tweeting it forward too. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. I'm her little. What am I? I'm your little uh, minion. <laughs> and actually, um, Buffy Hamilton. Thank you, Buffy. Immediately retweeted it, and I got a bunch of fits um, from Buffy's tweet. Yeah, that um, was really. Uh, cool. Library Journal, Mover and Shaker, 2011, Buffy Hamilton, and That's friend right. of the podcast. That's right. Congratulations, Buffy. Hey, Buffy. I was actually happy to see some of the um, teacher librarians make that list this year because I don't think any were on it last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I know catalogers are still bitching, but <laughs> never on it. Uh, that's my favorite part of Twitter is, like, I never really realized what a rich, you know, community catalogers have. Yeah. It's about what matters to them and that they've got their own issues. I don't know. Very fascinating. Well, this kind of goes back to your blog on what you're blogging about, which I think is, I I just think it's going to be a great resource for people. And it goes back to our kind of timeliness of professional materials. um, Because people, I think people are going to be interested in the process. And um, especially when there's little... uh, success marks here and there because that's what it is and people think that you start out with your library your information literacy program in one place and boom all of a sudden it's here where it's not it's a baby step process and i think that that's going your blog is going to be a great representation of that process um you know for what works and what doesn't and just because it didn't work at your school it might work at someone else's school and i don't know i'm excited for it i think it'll be good yeah and i think more than anything what i've learned is just that People actually will respond if you reach out to them, you know, that I've been kind of waiting for a couple of years to see, to wait for people to ask me to do information literacy, but that it, it's really up to me to make it happen. You know, no one else is going to do it for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot, <laughs> having fun. Cool. So, you know, you could, and you have it documented for, to, 
to write something more formal later if you want to. You'll you'll right. be documenting stuff that you would never remember if you weren't blogging it. So yeah, absolutely. I wish I had started doing this a while ago. I missed a lot of the early steps, <laughs> but yeah. So that's my blog. Well, um, I am actually, I remembered I am actually teaching, um, even though I'm not teaching Georgia State classes. I'm doing a, um, an online, uh, asynchronous Zotero class for Simmons School of Library and Information Science. So I'm doing, I'm teaching librarians Zotero. Uh, it's a Moodle class and it's been this whole month. This is actually, we're recording this on the last day of my class. It's been the whole month of March. And, um, they've already asked me to, back again to do it in July, so I'll probably plug it again in, in June on the June episode just in case people are interested. Um, it's a month-long, just start to finish, you know, how to use Zotero. The first week is like how to install Zotero and what is Zotero and so on, and um, goes all the way up through the final project is like write up a proposal for how you would implement you know, a project using Zotero at your institution. We talk about teaching practices and, and all kinds of stuff. So um, like uh, Anna said, there you know, you do it the first time and you figure out stuff that you want to do different the second time. So I think the July session is going to be better. I learned what I was sort of counting on because these are all librarians and it's a professional development class. I thought, well, I can just give, you know, discussion questions and give an activity and say post about how this activity went for you and not have people turn stuff in. And I think that was a little vague and not quite concrete enough. And so I'm going to come up with some more, uh, some good ways to do hands-on activities in an asynchronous environment for the July session. And I'll have a little more time to, to um, work up some stuff uh, for July since it's the summer and it'll be slower here. So the next round of the class is going to be better. Um, and I want to do some more stuff with like screencasting activities and, and things like that. So I haven't quite figured out exactly what I'm going to do differently uh, next, uh, next time I do it. But um, it's been fun. And, um, you know, I think Simmons puts on some really cool topics. They have a whole roster of stuff that they teach. So, um, uh, anyway, it's cool. So this has been a completely new experience for me. I've never taught a completely online class before except for, like, a one-hour synchronous workshop. So this is completely different for me. And uh, it's been fun and cool and interesting. And um, thanks for everybody who um, uh, has been taking uh, the class this semester, or this this semester, this month, um, it, it, we've had some cool discussions and stuff. So, anyway, uh, that's what I've been doing as far as teaching. So, cool. Should we go to our listener mail? This is a listener email from Kate, the Hoosier Librarian. I am a reference librarian in, at a Midwestern community college who has spent the last six years trying to get all librarian instruction integrated into more of our courses. That's a problem we've all heard before, right? Mm-hmm. So she's had great success. Um, she's uh, gone from 43 library instructions to for 731 students to, oh my gosh, to 156 library instruction sessions for 2,771 students. And that was from a, what, a six-year span? Is that right, you guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now what's happening is that um, she's kind of become the face of the library. And that's awesome. Um, and students and faculty are coming to her. But what happens is that the other kind of the, the other librarians that are there who can do this instruction also don't seem to be getting. Um, I don't know if they're are they not getting asked to do it. Is that right? Well, she says um, they they come in requesting her specifically, specifically. and brushing off 
brushing off other librarians. I took that to mean they were coming in for research consultations or or yeah. come to the reference desk and refuse to talk to anybody else. That was how I, I took it. And teach my class. No one else can teach it. She said faculty are doing it as well as students. Right. Yeah. So she wants to know if any of us have ever run into this situation and what we did about it. Um, my response is I have not run into this exact situation, but I know what she's talking about because now that I've been a subject librarian for over a year, I guess it's a year and a half, I am way busier because people know my name. Um, people know my name and my face, and they'll stop me. And I'm getting—I mean, I'm getting tons and tons of research consultations and stuff that I never, when I was doing just the first-year English classes, and it was you know moving on from one class to the next and and not working with the same people all the time. All of a sudden, I've got a department that I you know, I'm responsible for, and they all know me, and I've gotten way busier. So I haven't had people uh, specifically ask for me and refuse to take help from anybody else because, you know, we're just by virtue of the way the, the subject liaison system is set up, everybody's kind of responsible for their own group. Mm-hmm. So there are other people in the same boat. But I know what she's talking about. Do you Do you guys have – have you had something like this happen? Yeah. Um, uh at American, um, we have a number of liaisons, and two of the liaisons are liaisons to very, very successful programs at AU. And as a result, they get at least three times the number of consultations and requests for instruction that the rest of us do. So they are enormously busy. Um, so it's been a challenge. And um, part of me, I, I have a number of different things that I want to say, I guess, related to this, but um, I'm wondering what level she's teaching and if they're, you know, like if it's all across the community college or if there's one specific department um, that she's liaison for. Mm -hmm. But um, what we ended up doing at AU is sat down as a department to kind of talk about what is the ideal situation look like for us. Um, And I think every library is going to have a different approach. Um, Some of it was that um, our SIS librarian uh, started giving classes to to all of us to share the load because it was a really important thing that we thought should continue, but he couldn't teach, you know, 12 sections all by himself. So, um, he, so that was part of it. And, um, the other half was that, um, we decided to do a triage model for consultations. So instead of directly emailing the person, we have them fill out a form and depending on the level of complexity of their question, We'll either have whoever's checking email answer it themselves or ask them to go to the reference desk. Or if it really is a complex person that only that person can answer, then we send them to that person, um, which kind of it sounds more impersonal. But um, it's just what we have to do to make mm-hmm. sure that we don't get the I can only speak to this person, but I have a really basic question that could have been answered by anyone. So that was our solution. And it, it's it's still not perfect. They're still super busy, but at least they have a little more time than they used to. (laughs) It's funny because when you think about it, that's what you want is you want them coming in and asking for help. And what happens is they get, because we always want to make it that personal connection. You know, I am the librarian. You know who I am. Come and see me. And I remember it specifically happening, happening to me at Emory University. But I think that was because I was seeing all the first year students. And so it was a natural segue for me if someone came in and they were you know maybe they were into their sophomore year by then and they were starting to get into their major I could point them to 
you know, one of the, one of the liaisons, but it's tough because you, you always say, I'm here to help you. So I kind of had a natural, you know what, here's someone who probably knows these resources a lot better than I do. They, they'll be able to help you more. You know, you promise that they're nice. They're not going to bite you, you know, whatever it does kind of, um, and they probably could better help that person in some ways. Uh, so what's our advice, Kate? Is it some form of, of that? Here, let me introduce you to someone who knows about this stuff or bringing more people into her teaching sessions. I'm brainstorming. I don't have a great answer. I think teaching is probably the easiest thing. And I, I, my guess is she's probably the instruction librarian, which is why it's going to be tough. But that's why she should at least be talking to her supervisor and saying this has become you know, unsustainable for one person. We need to rethink how we're covering this because it, it has been such a success and we need to all share in that success and have other people take it on. That, that would be my advice. So take a programmatic approach is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, just kind of reevaluating it as a, a more of a priority across the department of people that are teaching students in various ways. You know, the people that are on the reference desk, they're still teaching. It's just a different type of teaching. Right. And, you know, I think people who haven't taught before are very scared or can be scared about it. But, you know, it's just it's just like a large reference transaction <laughs> and a little more formalized. You know. And, and Kate's got has she's had great success in that one thing. You know, they always say, "What are the three things you want your students to know? Where to go for help?" I mean, and obviously yeah. they know where to go for help. Yeah, so a nice problem to have. <laughs> I think you're right, though. I hadn't really thought about it, Rachel. But you saying that that some buy-in from admin and and kind of formalize this a little more. I think that makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah, I mean the the statistics speak for themselves. You know, it's she's doing a lot of work presumably by herself, and that's that's not probably the best use of one person's time. I mean, yeah, that's a huge jump, those numbers. That's a big jump for five yeah. years or whatever. And I would love to hear more about how she did it, honestly. Sure. <laughs> and if you ever want to, you know, come join us and talk about it. You never get to go to community college perspective either. I'm curious. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. This was episode 24 of Adventures in Library Instruction. Join us next month for our two-year anniversary where nobody knows what might happen. Volume 3, number 1, next month. Thanks for listening. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Van Skoik. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Bonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.